and I was having uh, kind of this experience while while singing. And it was a good experience because I stopped singing for a minute and I just listened and I thought, this is a pretty cool thing, uh, pretty awesome moment when we were together uh, worshiping. And then I started having some weird thoughts and thinking, why do I even like this? And I realized that I think maybe I'm designed to like this. And maybe there was a reason and a purpose that I liked this. And I, you know, I started getting theological and I, I started thinking, um, and I, I guess this is what we're going to be doing, like in heaven. Uh, we're going to be a part of uh, really an amazing uh, worship service. Uh, this is going to be one of the ways that we celebrate. God has designed us to uh, worship together. So if you're not into singing, uh, you, you might consider it. Just a thought. And, uh, you know, if you're worried about uh, it not being a manly activity, we're going to go into a series called The Best of the Psalms, and they are written by David, and he is a, a manly person. First of all, he's a king. And so he's, you know, he's sort of manly right away, you know, King David. And uh, we know that he's uh, a, a really great warrior, personally, not just a military strategist, which he's also good at, but he's a great warrior. And so, uh, you know, that's pretty manly. In fact, he was at one point the mightiest warrior in all of Israel, so it would be hard to say that there was a more manly person in Israel than David. But then he has this other side. We would maybe call it his softer side or his, you know, his artsy side. And that is where he is a poet. And he's a songwriter. And he's a worship leader. And he's a dancer. Some of you who know the full story of David know all the things that I'm talking about. Um... So we're going to read uh, the most famous psalm today. Uh, it's Psalm 23, and uh, you, you've probably uh, seen this before. Uh, you've probably, if there was like a, a Bible opened in some kind of formal setting, just like as a as a thing to look at, it was probably open to Psalm 23. This is one of the more famous, if not the most famous, passage in all of the scriptures written by David, poet, songwriter, soldier, king. Um, if there's a human experience to be had, David probably had it, and his psalms are written from a deep human experience. Uh, before I read the psalm, however, I see some of you are already opening your Bibles and you're getting serious spiritually. Don't do that yet because I'm going to share with you some sheep jokes. And the reason we're doing this is because Psalm 23 is couched around this uh, relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. So we're going to start with some sheep jokes. Uh, what do you do if you cross an angry sheep and a moody cow? You get an animal that's in a bad mood. 
I always love the second laugh. What do you call a sheep with a machine gun? It's a black sheep. Yeah. I got a fan right here. That's good. Uh, how do sheep greet each other at Christmas? Merry Christmas to you. Rams and ewes. Hmm. Yeah. I've noticed there's a couple of you who have not cracked a smile yet, and I'm going to keep going until you do. <clears throat> How do sheep in Mexico say Merry Christmas? You should get this one. Feliz Navidad. Yeah, very nice. All right. Yeah, you're warming up. Okay. Uh, how many sheep does it take to knit a sweater? Any guesses? Don't be, don't be silly. Sheep can't knit. All right, they're just going to get worse and worse until I have everybody laughing, all right? So what do you get if you cross a sheep with a porcupine? You get an animal that knits its own sweaters. Huh? Yeah, needles, knitting needles. Yeah. I know some of you don't knit, so, you know. Uh, what did the sheep want to do? Uh, he wanted to wool the world. Huh? That's pretty good. All right, this, somebody should get this one. What kind of car do sheep prefer to drive? Think lamb. Lamborghini. We got it. Very nice. All right. Uh, I'm going to save the rest of them for in case the sermon gets a little dry. Uh, <laughs> Coming back to the sheep jokes. All right. Let's read uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. A great psalm to pull out on almost any occasion and read, uh, because it really touches on a lot of different, very difficult things for us. It touches on a lot of very difficult parts of following God, of being a sheep. So we're going to go uh, through some of those today. Uh, it brings up the issues of trust, contentment, rest, renewal, direction, facing danger, protection and comfort through discipline and correction, and faith in God's promise. Did you get all those? Those are the uh, you know, points to my sermon, so I hope you uh, remember them always. But it touches on all of these uh, very difficult parts of the Christian faith, so we're just going to walk through uh, each of them. 
We're going to walk through uh, Psalm 23 together. The first one is trust. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That is a significant statement of trust. And trust is very difficult. What is difficult about trust? As I was thinking about this, I tried to narrow it down because there are multiple things that are difficult about trust, but what is the most difficult thing about trust? And what I decided was that the most difficult thing about trust is experience, having experience or uh, repetition. So uh, you might remember when you learned to walk, uh, that first step. How many of you remember when you learned to walk? That first step, you know, was sort of a trust fall, right? But you kept doing that, and eventually you figured out that uh, you could trust yourself pretty well, and you could trust your brain uh, to be able to just walk around, and then you got to a point where you didn't really need to think about it anymore. And that was because of uh, repetition, because of experience. You experienced that thing. You knew what it was going to be like, and so you developed trust. Uh, I remember uh, learning how to repel, and I remember starting uh, very, very nervous, where I was, you know, just like hand over hand, uh, very close to the wall, crouching, you know, next to the wall in case the rope broke, I could grab something. Uh, I was able to, you know, felt like I could kind of maybe scramble back up and keep my balance, so I started that way, and then I started uh, progressively getting better, trusting the rope more, leaning back a little bit more, and I got to the point where uh, I was uh, starting with a big jump and letting out a bunch of rope and then catching the rope and swinging back to the wall. And then I started hanging out with some uh, marine recruiters, and they wanted to up the level of intensity. And so we, instead of going down backwards, we turned around, we went down frontwards. I think that's called Australian style repelling. And we started by walking over and then we started running over. And then we started running and jumping. And that's why the special ops teams are always trying to recruit me, but I'm a pastor, so no. Um, anyways, the point is, and this is where we get to the solution, because I think all of us would love to get to the point where we are trusting God fully with our lives. How do we do that in the spiritual realm, in, in the area of developing our faith? We do that by starting small. Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God understands how we work. He made us. So he gets how we work, and he knows that we need to start small. And so God invites us into that, to start small, to just taste. Take a taste of trusting God. So we start small, we experience that, we repeat that. We do another small thing, we do another small thing, and eventually, part of the spiritual process is that we get bored. Did you know that? I mean, that's what happens with repelling. Right At some point, you get bored of just doing the same repel, and you want a little bit more. And so you take bigger risks, and that's how we're wired to operate, and that's what we ought to do spiritually. If you're wondering uh, why you're bored, if you are, in your Christian life, it is intended to push you further, 
to take greater risk because God has more for you. There is a much greater experience waiting for you if you are willing to take a greater risk. So let's move on to contentment because that same statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need, is also a statement of contentment. And how many of you would say that you are perfectly content? Right? Me neither. So let's talk about what is difficult about being content. I think the big problem with being content is focus, the things that we are looking at, looking at the things that we don't have rather than looking at the things that we do have, where our focus is. Uh, There are a variety of things that can uh, take our focus away, that can distract us from being content. Uh, I am planning on going uh, bear hunting soon with my brother. And uh, one of the things that comes up because we're often out at night with the bears is uh, our flashlights and uh, the, uh, the ability of our flashlights. And I am particularly interested in flashlights, and I like to make sure that I have the most powerful flashlight in the group. That's just something about me. And uh, one of the things that I have seen is that my brother is slowly up in the ante on his level of lumens and beam intensity. And he knows that whenever he ups his, I'm going to up mine. And so we have this competition, and that competition keeps me from being content with a light that is more than adequate. I want something that is far more than adequate. And so I will keep buying more powerful flashlights until he surrenders. So uh, what is the uh, solution or how do we actually grow in this area of contentment? What do we do? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Uh, This is on the topic of, of money. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Okay? So Jesus is talking about money. But then he says this. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. The things you're focused on. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. So if you're focused on the right things, if you're focused on the things you have rather than the things you don't have, then, well, then you have contentment. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Then he says, back to money, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the key to growing in our contentment is to make sure that we are focusing and refocusing and refocusing on the things that God has provided for us, rather than the things that are not available to us. Then it goes on to bring up uh, rest and renewal. And I know your first thought is, 
When I read this passage, he renews my strength, or sorry, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. I know that uh, your first thought is, yeah, that sounds really good. I could use some rest and renewal, and that sounds wonderful. And how many of you have like positive vibes when you hear that? Positive vibes? Sounds good? The problem is we don't actually do this very well. Do you know that? We don't actually rest very well. Um, There are, are problems with rest. I thought about in my life who has the most difficult time getting rest, and I think it's my kids every night when I ask them and then move towards telling them that it's time for lights out, it's time to go to bed. There's always negativity around that moment. Like maybe 0.1% of the time have I ever had a child say, oh yeah, thanks, it's time for bed. I think we did actually have that once. But it's pretty much always filled with negativity. They don't want to go to sleep. And so I asked them, you know, what is it that makes you not want to rest? Because we would all agree that rest and restoration, restoration are fantastic things, right? Well, these were some of their answers. Uh, and I've turned them into adult phrases. Uh, remaining energy. Right? Um, sometimes we're just not exhausted. We still have energy left. And in my children's case, it's more energy to play more video games or you know, something like that. They've got plenty of energy. They're not tired. And we often hear that. Well, I'm not tired. Uh, another part of it was uh, distractions. Right? There's noises in the house. There's noises outside. Uh, There's, you know, there are things to do. There are a lot of distractions that would keep us from getting rest. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, one of my children talked about, well, you have nothing to, we were on the distraction thing, but when we went into sleep, it was, there's nothing to distract you from then just thinking about things internally. And I think they were trying to describe like introspection. And sometimes we don't love introspection because we don't love what's in there. And rest often brings introspection. Well, after a debate uh, about whether or not music is helpful to go to sleep or not having music, uh, we, uh, we kind of ended our discussion about um, what was difficult about being being in rest. Ultimately, rest, getting the right amount of rest is a discipline. Did you know that? You wouldn't think this would need to be a discipline because you would think you'd just get tired and then rest. But that's not actually the case. In fact, you might be interested to know that God, when he was laying out the best way to live and he said things like, you really shouldn't worship things or entities other than me because I'm the only one worthy of worship. And when he said things like, you really shouldn't murder other people, or you really shouldn't commit adultery, or you really shouldn't lie, when he kind of came up with his top 10, guess what number six was? To rest. 
to take a Sabbath. Uh, in other words, he had to command us to rest because apparently we are in great need of a reminder to rest, which is really counterintuitive because, you know, we see so much about going on vacations, about relaxing on the weekends and all of this, but really our default is to not rest, to not rest well, to not rest appropriately. So the solution to rest and renewal is the discipline of Sabbathing. I think that's a verb. <laughs> then David talks about direction. He says that he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Uh, we struggle, I think, as Christians, finding God's direction or knowing God's direction. I have conversations with people all the time about what they think what they're trying to discern, you know, God is wanting them to do, asking for God's direction in their life. So here's, here's um, you know, the, the difficult thing about finding God's direction. Uh, one is that we lose picture, the, or we lose sight of the big picture. We just lose sight of God's overall will. For example, God tells us to love God with you know, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we just focus on those two things, it will answer 95% of our questions about what God's will is for our lives. So we often just lose sight of big picture things like that. And then we tend to overanalyze. We tend to dive into the details too far. We tend to overanalyze. And then there's paranoia and laziness. I don't know if you've ever heard of those things or not. Proverbs 26 gives this example. It says the lazy person says there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. The picture is this person sitting on the couch inside their house, uh, not wanting to go out on any adventure or not wanting to go out and do any work, not wanting to be productive in any way because of this fantasy they've created about danger in the world. And sometimes we just get ourselves into those situations when we're thinking about seeking God's direction. So what is the solution? How do we gain God's direction and become confident in this area? Joshua Chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Um, this is God giving directions to Joshua. Joshua uh, is about to undertake a significant military campaign. He has taken over leadership of 2 to 3 million people. Uh, Joshua has a whole lot on his plate. And this is the direction that God gives him. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. That's the first uh, books of the Old Testament. Only then we prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Maybe you've never caught this before when you thought about following God's will. Uh, God is simply telling Joshua, you know what the mission is. Go for it. I'm with you. I'm with you. This is the way I think we should understand that. I think God is saying, you know what? I created you. I made you in a very specific way. I shaped you. Uh, I gave you an incredible brain. I gave you a heart for things. I gave you passions in certain directions. I've planted dreams in you. Now go. And I think oftentimes we sit on the couch and we wait for God to yank us off the couch and then get behind us and push us in a very specific direction and guide us. And we are without confidence to take a step on our own, trusting that God has created us in a unique way, that God has filled us with particular passions, that God has given us our specific personality, that God has given us a brain to think about the best path forward. God gives Joshua very little direction. Here's the big area that I want you to take over, go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go. So if you've been hesitating, stop doing that. Go. Um, Another example from the scriptures, if you're not convinced, is uh, the Apostle Paul. He understands the Great Commission, he understands the specific mission that God has given him to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and so he plots out a strategy. He looks at the map and says, I'm going to go there because it makes sense to go there. I'm going to go there because it makes sense to go there next. And he plots out his map and his route, and he starts going on that route, and as he's going on his route, God sends him a special vision, right? The man from Macedonia, which is not on his prescribed route, but it's going in another direction, So from time to time, God may interrupt you in his plans, but until he interrupts you with his other plans, but until he does so, be strong and courageous. Go for it. All right. That's direction. Facing danger is the next thing that David brings up. He faced a lot of danger in his life. I think probably more danger than you or I will ever experience. So he knew something, he knew quite a bit actually about facing danger and how to walk through that danger. Well, what is the big problem with danger? I mean, why do we fear danger? Well, this is my thought. Because it's dangerous. Very bad things could happen in dangerous situations. And so that's why we fear those scenarios. Um, let me give you an example, um, like a, a, a very real-life example. Uh, in Anchorage, we have a lot of um, families who have been broken apart uh, by divorce. And uh, I often end up in, you know, at, at least on the outer edges of these stories that are happening. And one of the most difficult things that happens in that battle 
One of the most dangerous things that happens is when a husband and a wife are fighting over the custody of the children. And usually one spouse especially is highly concerned for the safety and welfare of their children when they're in the custody of the other spouse. And so let's take a scenario like that. I think, you know, I, I've, I know I've seen situations where I would agree with the spouse who is worried and say, yeah, that doesn't look like a safe or a good scenario. How do we walk through danger like that? Where's well, the solution? The solution is to surrender the worst case scenario to God. To come to a place where you've, you've worked through the very worst case scenario and you have surrendered that to God. Um, I didn't say this was going to be easy. I'm just telling you what the solution is. We drive out fear and we gain courage by wrestling with the worst case scenario in the presence of God. Maybe you remember the story of Jacob who had betrayed his brother, had betrayed his father, and was forced into a situation because he had betrayed his uncle and his uncle had betrayed him. He's forced in a situation where his only option is to run back to his eldest brother who wants nothing more than to kill him. He is in a very bad scenario. And just before confronting his brother, just before walking into that danger, just before going into that battle, he wrestles with God. He wrestles with that fear. He surrenders the worst case scenario to God. And that is the moment where God changes his name from Jacob, heel grabber, deceiver, to Israel, overcomer. And so that is what we have to do. We have to surrender those worst case scenarios to God. And in doing that, we are able to walk in courage, even in the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that God will be beside us. Okay, David goes on to claim that he enjoys God's correction and discipline. Uh, maybe some of you have matured enough as adults to be able to say to your parents, or at least think about your parents, okay, their discipline was good. Really hated it at the time. Uh, didn't enjoy the spankings. Didn't enjoy a variety of things about their discipline. And an uncle who liked to grab ears. Didn't enjoy that. Don't recommend it, by the way. But maybe you've come to a place where you've at least been able to say, okay, discipline is good. I needed correction. David says he's come to that place with God because God's discipline and correction brings him protection and comfort. So what's so difficult about this? Well, it's the pain, the pain of discipline. It's the embarrassment of correction. 
It's the transparency of being exposed by discipline and correction. These are the things that we do not like. Uh, as a child, uh, my parents took our family to this place called Harmony Hill Youth Camp, and it was a, uh, you know, it was a, 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 an old-style camp meeting, but uh, you, you would also you know, stay in lodging there and so forth. And as a young kid, I think I was six years old, the most fascinating thing on the whole campground was the concession stand. And the problem that I had going to the concession stand was I didn't have any money. And so there was this problem, but uh, I knew that in my parents' luggage, in their suitcase, there was a wad of cash. And so I made the connection. I need money. There's money. I went and got that money, and I started spending it. And I was having a great time. Best day at camp ever. <laughs> I wasn't just spending it on my behalf. I was also buying other people's stuff. Because it's fun to buy other people's stuff. I mean, you are just the hero right away, right? And so I was having a fantastic time, best day ever, and then I hear over the camp loudspeaker, Levi Smith, your father would like to see you in the dining hall. It doesn't get worse than that. I mean, I had kind of already dealt with really the possibility of getting in trouble. I got in trouble a lot as a kid. I didn't like it, but I was familiar with it. This added an entirely new element. Everybody knew now that I was in trouble. We don't like correction and discipline because it's painful, because it's embarrassing. Who we are is really exposed. And those are things we do not like. Well, what's the solution? Uh, Zacchaeus is our example here. We can look to Zacchaeus to understand how do we best deal with this because God is going to correct you. God is going to discipline you. God is going to expose you for who you are. Those are the promises of Scripture. How do you like them? That's going to happen in your life. So how do we deal with that? This is how Zacchaeus dealt with it. Um, first of all, he accepted who he was. He accepted how far away he was from God. He accepted who Jesus was and he accepted who he was. And then he, he owned it. He confessed. He owned it. He said, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. But then he left it. He changed it to that's who I was. I've been a thief and a money launderer, and a cheat, and an oppressor, and now I'm gonna do the opposite. If I've cheated anybody, I'm gonna pay you back four times the amount I've cheated you. That was four times more than the Jewish law required, by the way. I'm gonna own it, but I'm gonna leave it, and I'm gonna leave it in style. And people are gonna see that I am a changed person. 
I have been transformed. And as a result, Jesus says, now salvation has come to this house today. That's what it looks like. David then tells us about his faith in God's promise. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. David proclaims his great faith in God to sustain him then, to sustain him always. David is so confident in God, he sees God pursuing him with his unfailing love. Even if David were to run, and he did run at different points in his life from God, David sees God just pursuing him, doggedly pursuing him with his unfailing love. Well, the difficult thing about faith, I think, having faith in God's promise is waiting. Waiting for them to be fulfilled. Um, I pretty much hate waiting. Uh, I hate waiting so much that I uh, travel to Tibet in order to visit a Tibetan monk to try to get some help with waiting. And I climbed maybe like 4,000 stairs or something like this, and I got to the top, and there was this little monk sitting in a room, and I walked in, and I sat down cross-legged in front of him, and I said, how can I be more patient? And he said, well, if you will wait long enough, I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> the story's not true. <laughs> I've never been to Tibet. The closest I've gotten is by buying goji berries at Costco. Um, that is not the, uh, the real solution to growing in patience. Um, patience is very, very difficult to do. Uh, for example, Psalm 37 and verse 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Uh, that's not easy to do. This is what God asks us to do. For me, this has been pretty much impossible to do, to wait patiently while great things happen to horrible people. That's not how I tend to live. That's not the way I like to live, but that is the way that God is asking me to live, to be patient, waiting for the fulfillment of his promises. To be patient, waiting for justice to prevail. To be patient, waiting for good to be victorious. Oh, I struggle with patience. So here's the solution. Romans 15, verses 2 through 5. It says, we should help others do what is right and build, an, build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things, so these are promises of God, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. 
And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we patiently, or as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Now, here's the key. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. The key is not for us to go out and do some activity to grow in patience or to sit cross-legged with a monk to grow in patience. The solution for growing in patience is to ask God to give you patience. Right? It says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement. So, if you are struggling, waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in your life, then prayer, 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 and more prayer. Asking God to help you to trust in Him. Asking God to help you be patient with Him. So, um, hopefully this morning, uh, you have uh, been touched in some way uh, to reconsider Psalm 23. Uh, maybe you've seen something of its value in terms of how it speaks to our daily lives. Maybe you've been drawn to rethink your level of contentment in your life, or maybe you've been challenged to trust God with some step in your life, whether it's small, whether you're trying it for the first time, or whether God is asking you to do something actually quite significant in terms of stepping out in faith. Maybe God is challenging you this morning to rest on a regular basis, like completely rest every seven days, for example. Maybe God has the gift of patience and faith for you and is waiting for you to ask because his promise is that if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. If you ask, it will be given to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask for this patience as we wait for your promises to be fulfilled. We celebrate when they are fulfilled. But Father, we know that your timing and our timing are not always the same, and so we pray for patience. Increase our faith, Lord, we ask. Father, help us in all of these ways that we can say, that we can join the psalmist in saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please stand. Uh, from Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Want another really bad sheep joke? Where do sheep go when they die? The barbecue.